many coaches think that mental skills, you either have it or you don't. You're competitive or you're not. You're mentally tough or you're not. You're motivated or you're not. That's, there's not these binary choices. The mental skills are skills. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. Mental skills. This episode is all about mental skills, so commitment, motivation, mental toughness, all these words that many people out there, many coaches out there will think are inbuilt, are inherited from mums and dads. But that's just not the case. Have a little listen to this episode with Colleen Hacker, who's just brought out her new book, Achieving Excellence. And I've got it here in front of me. Really, really interesting read. And in this episode, we have a little chat around the strategies that we can implement, whether you've got a mental skills coach or you're the mental skills coach, you're the strength and conditioning coach, you're the sports scientist, you're the nutritionist, you're the psychologist, the guys and girls out there who are the one-man bands. How can you put some of this work some of Colleen's life's work into your sessions, into your environment. So a fascinating episode, which is something slightly different because we've never had a mental skills coach on the podcast before. So a really interesting episode that you'll get tons and tons out of. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website, hawkingdynamics.com, to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. And this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU. iMeasureU is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer life battery to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicom, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, the US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website iMeasureU.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. And this episode is also sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology, and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, they've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. So without further ado, over to the episode with Colleen. Colleen Hacker, welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. No, thank you. I'm very jealous of that 
that kit as well, that that stash, that USA stash, looking oh, good. Oh, there you go. Looks great. It's Looks all great. about the gear, Rob. It's all uh, about the gear. Oh, as we've just discussed, <laughs> as we've just discussed. So anyone who doesn't know who you are, Colleen, I'd love to for you to give us a little bit of a uh, a bio on you and just put it out there right now. When you sent me your bio, just to, so I could get, get to know a little bit more about you, incredibly impressive, incredibly impressive. So I'll say that now before you go you go uh, do your thing. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, it's, it's an origin story. And, and, you know, whenever you look at why people are doing what they're doing, inevitably there's an origin story. And as simply and succinctly as I can make it, it's just this. From the earliest ages, and I mean ages five or six, so don't, I'm not going to go through five-year increments. I was always acutely aware that you certainly need physical talent. You certainly need dedication to your sport, but I always intuitive, intuited or understood or saw that the psychological dimension, the heart dimension was the final separator and maybe even the separator between good and great and great and excellent. So I have been drawn quite frankly, to studying excellence in a variety of fields, in a variety of groups, teams, corporations, athletes, etc. my entire career. And luckily, uh, you know, there's a PhD for that. So, uh, you know, I, it just was the logical culmination is uh, to study sport and performance psychology in graduate school and I've been fortunate to be mentored by the best in our field. So I stand on other people's shoulders, but but this, this profession, this vocation, for me, it feels like a calling, is something that I'm as passionate about decades into my career as I was when I started. I love what I do. I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world, and I'm just hungry for more information more tools, more techniques, more primary research to support what I'm trying to do for the clients that I'm privileged to serve. So you wear two hats, professor hat in academia, but also private practice working professional uh, athletes. All right. I, I do. And every time I'm reminded of that, it, it's also a cue that maybe it's time for a nap or something. <laughs> uh, I, I have for, for the bulk of my career, I have had what realistically for most people is two full-time jobs. So all of my university colleagues are primarily, I, I don't know of, of an exception, are primarily university professors. And then the people operating at, at the levels which, which I'm able to operate as a mental skills coach, a vast majority of those folks are full-time mental skills coaches. And then the third career is working with what I call corporate athletes. So I do a fair amount of corporate consulting and keynotes as well. So uh, apparently I have trouble uh, just narrowly focusing, but I view that as a joy and a strength. Absolutely. And I'm really interested, the mental skills coach industry or profession, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, I think over here, from just from our discussion for five minutes before we hit record, is maybe in a slightly different place to what it is over there in the US. I think mental skills coaches here probably I don't know, would you class this how we what we call psychologists? Because we we don't have that we don't seem to have the mental skills coach. They may be well, there, but the I don't think they're called that. It seems no. to bu bucket it under the psychologist. No, and that's an important distinction. I, I don't want to get into the the nuances of the UK versus the US, but there are significant laws and regulations. It's not just a matter of uh, industry choices. There's laws and regulations that are very, very different between the two countries. So briefly, I'll just speak from a, from a US standpoint. There's primarily two different types of folks functioning in this arena. One are clinical psychologists, and they're the only ones that can use that term. If you look on my 
bio or self statements or taglines, you will never see the word psychologist because in the US, that is a legal protected title that you are required to have a clinical degree to be called a psychologist. Yeah, that's the same with the UK. I think that's the same with the UK. I know mental skills coaches, and I don't mean this pejoratively, that that only have a master's degree and they call themselves sports psychologists. So it's in the US, first of all, it would be illegal and unethical, but I think it creates nationwide and worldwide a real confusion or uncertainty in the public, in the hiring public of what are the the key credentials, what are the differences. So now let me do the second part. So in the US, you have clinical sports psychologists, then you have mental skills coaches. I'm in the latter category. So my training is from an educational standpoint, an intervention standpoint. So psychological principles, psychological coursework, psychological expertise is the foundation, but but mental skills coaches focus on non-clinical populations. And, and the simplest way I tell the story is if you are clinically depressed, you would go to a clinical sports psychologist. If you are, and I've been part of this, if you are devastated at losing a gold medal, I've been part of two silver medal teams. If you're just devastated at losing gold, you're going to hire a mental skills coach. You're not clinically depressed. It's not a clinical medical issue. It's a performance issue. So my lane is with, with helping the best in the world optimize their potential, stay there longer, enjoy the process more, and develop more tools to be able to handle the pressure and demands that only are increasing in their lives. And it's substantial. Interesting. And there's so there's so much to go into. We've got I've got a list of questions that could have been three times what it actually was that I sent you over. But you mentioned beforehand that you don't have internet uh, a website, you don't have that kind of presence. So I don't want to get too much into that, but I think that's a really interesting thing from your perspective, who's done what you've done why you decided not to go down that route. Yeah, and Rob, I, re- I appreciate how you phrased the question. It was a decision. It was both a personal, professional decision of mine. I mean, I'll put that challenge out there to listeners. You know, Google Dr. Colleen Hacker and you're going to see my faculty homepage. That's all you're going to see. You're going to see the courses I teach, areas of expertise, and then a list of websites to say, if you want to learn more, go here, go there. That's it. I mean, think of, think of the model from 15 years ago websites. And I, and I get online, I look at all these fancy, incredible testimonials, name dropping, which in the United States is unethical. It violates professional standards, but the public doesn't know that. I've made it a point to not have that web presence so that I assume it's the same in the UK is when you get to the elite status, when you are an NBA player, an NFL player, an MLS player, you're an Olympian. It becomes a small world pretty quickly. Like people know the key figures. And so in my career, it's elite athletes recommending me word of mouth to the other elite athletes who say, look, I've worked with this person for three years, five years, eight years. This is somebody that can make a difference. And the same thing in the US, in the US, they're called NGBs, national governing bodies. So, you know, USSF or USA hockey or USA lacrosse or whoever it is that you're working with, same thing. The administrators know other administrators. And so they want to know who's been there, who's done it. What's it like working with that person? What's it like working within the organization, meaning the coaching and the coaches, staff, the players? And I prefer it to be personal, direct, 
and take myself out of the marketing equation. So 99.9% of my clients reach out to me first and they already know what they need to know. And that's very meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. I like it. Like I said to you before, gone from here to here with that decision. I like it. Love it. So one thing I want to dive into the first thing, and it's maybe become a bit of a dirty a dirty term, especially in like strength and conditioning sports science, because it's, it's, it's linked to things that are maybe a little bit old school, and that's mental toughness. So when you're in a strength and conditioning perspective, and you'll have seen it going to military camps or going to, you know, Navy SEALs type training, that kind of thing. And there was a little bit of controversy here in the UK just two weeks ago with our England rugby head coach. And a lot of the players had come through the private school system and he questioned their mental toughness because of that, the upbringing that they'd had and the kind of rugby that they'd played. And I want to get your take on developing mental toughness are we going about it the right way? We're thinking that we go on a military camp and it, you know, we do we do falls like into partners and things like that. Is is that what military development um, developing mental toughness is, or is it something completely different? Well, it's the million dollar question, but for me, it's a simple question. I read the article and I appreciate you sending me the link. So I wanted to see how the coach positioned it and and what he said and why. So I understand I'm treading on on thin ice here, but I also have to be true and I have to be evidence and scholarship based. And with all due respect, it's not anybody who can who can shorten mental toughness into binary choices, men, women, military, non-military, public schools, private schools, complex concepts don't have binary answers. So when you hear things reduced to something very simplistic, I'm like, it's a little bit more complex than that. I don't fault him because it's you. no one can be an expert in 15 different fields. So he's an expert in rugby, but not in, not in mental skills training and certainly not in mental toughness. He, he's, seeing, he's seeing results of process, environments, lack of, and I don't doubt that at all, but the answers are more complex. So to be very specific regarding that article, but other issues, it's not the environment alone. It's not public or private schools. It's what's done in that environment. You can, you can have done a number of academic, scholarly, as well as practical coaching education workshops on mental toughness. This is sort of the sweet spot for me. So I'm going to say two quick things. One, what it's not. It's not no pain, no gain. Mental, that, the old school notion that mental toughness means no matter what's going on in your life, you fight through it and you battle through it and you never quit and you never change teams and you can't handle it and you're not emotional. That's not mental toughness. That's like shutting down zombieism. Mental toughness is the ability to see, understand, and cope with extremely challenging situations. And you need adaptability and flexibility and capability in order to do that. So it's not simple, but it's doable. Mental toughness isn't a biological trait. It's not a a heritable trait. We don't get it from mom and dad. Mental toughness is a skill and you can learn about it. You can work on it. You can improve it. You can develop it. You can strengthen it. You can do a lot of things with mental toughness. And I think what the article showed is very common that many coaches think that mental skills, you either have it or you don't. You're competitive or you're not. You're mentally tough or you're not. You're motivated or you're not. That's, there's not these binary choices. The mental skills are skills. So I, I hesitate to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Go so for you it, can, Colleen. You can take a time out and, and pause as well. But what's your sport of choice? Like, what's a sport that you feel like, okay, I know that? Uh, soccer, football. Okay. Yeah. 
So if I said to you, I'm going to give you one week to improve your corner kicks. And if you can get eight out of 10 corner kicks into the six yard box in the air, in the six yard box, I'm going to give you $10,000, but you can only practice one way, Rob. You have one week to do that. How would you practice? You only have one way to practice corner kicks. What would you do for seven days for 10 K? I'd take corner kicks. I'd take corner kicks. Look how simple that is. (laughs) I'd take corner kicks. Now imagine saying, well, you can either take corner kicks or you can't. (laughs) Do you expect to get better in corner kicks? I'm not saying you'd play for the national team, but would you get better in seven days of devoted practice on corner kicks? Do you expect to get worse, stay the same, or get better by some degree? What would your answer be? I'd hope I'd get better if I was decking corner kicks for seven days. Boom. And that's as simple as I want to make it. Like you have to engage in the right practice consistently with good coaching over time. And guess what? We can develop mental skills just like we can develop technical skills. If you had a, if you had a footballer that wasn't strong enough, you go, well, there's strong guys and there's weak guys. There's strong women. There's weak women. You go, well, you're just not strong enough to play football. What would you do with a footballer who wasn't fit enough? You would prescribe. Some strength and fitness work. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. As soon as I do that with people, they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's the simplest way, for lack of a better way, to, to call out the fallacy of thinking. That you either have it or you don't. And that... You know, you wouldn't blame, well, you know, families, oh, well, the school system, well, uh, culture, well, video games. I don't know what led to the fact, some people are born stronger than others, but we can all get stronger. Everybody has some level of mental toughness, but we can get mental tougher. And so you want to engage in the right techniques under the right leadership, in the right ways. So one of the earliest ways, and you can begin this with children, I call them, I've coined the terms mental toughness moments, MTMs, mental toughness moments, is we have to start recognizing mental toughness moments. They're all around us. They're all around us. Uh, This is a simple example, and forgive me for making it personal, but here we go. So I have a podcast this morning, then I have clients about an hour and a half after this podcast ends. And then I have meetings after clients. So you get, it's called a normal work day. <laughs> so a mental toughness moment is, oh, do I feel like changing, working out, going for a run? I've only got an hour. What's the answer? General, I mean, look at my, listen to my tone. Listen, <laughs> no, I don't feel like doing it. So that's a mental toughness moment. It's not doing what you want to do. It's having this long-term vision, this purpose, this intrinsic motivation that says, if I want what I want, which I do from my fitness, I'm going to find a way to do it. That's a mental toughness moment. If I read a negative evaluation from a student, it hurts. Mentally tough isn't, oh, I don't care what people say about it. That's not, that's this old school mental toughness. It hurts right? It's not like it doesn't, but now I've got work to do. That's a mental toughness moment. What variables led them to feel that way? What could I have done differently? Is there behavior that I could change? Um, what did I do to cause that? What could I do differently? You, you see, it's it, mental toughness moments are learning opportunities, but we fail to recognize them and we need a name for it. A strength and conditioning coach wouldn't say, okay, we're going to do that we're going to do that lift where you, you know, you hold a weight and, and your palms up and then you bend your elbow, you know, towards your, we call them bicep curls. <laughs> yeah. We've got, we've got to recognize mental toughness moments. And that's an educational opportunity. That's a teaching opportunity. And we can do that or not do that in public schools. Yeah. We can do that or not do that in private schools. We have coaches that can be taught how to develop mental toughness 
at all levels, in all ages, and all sports. Or we can say, well, either have it or you don't. Look at what I'm dealing with. But when we understand that it's a skill, ah, now we roll up our sleeves. There's something to be done. There's work that can be done. There's ways to do it, ways to not do it. And, and I'm going to get the education I need to be able to do that. Because I think our players deserve it. And I think our, our sports, our collective sports deserve it. Yeah. I, I certainly didn't play at the standard that you've been, the environments that you've been in, but I, I played at a, a, like three leagues down from the, from the top in, in England in a, in a reserve youth capacity. And I remember a coach saying to me, I think he was after a game, maybe I've not played too well. He, he clearly made his mind up based on this statement that I was mentally soft. He said, Rob, uh, remind me where you're from again. And I told him the place and he went, it's nice there, isn't it? Really, really nice. And at the time I was like, yeah, it's quite nice. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. But then afterwards I got older, that that comment stayed with me. And I was like, he'd made his mind up that I was from a nice area and I was mentally soft. So I'm sure that happens all the time. In that, in that, in that, uh, uh, at that time, if you were involved in that kind of discussion, that coach is going to you. I think Rob, or other member of the team, needs work to become more men- uh, mentally robust or mentally tough, whatever you want to call it. What would be your first point of call? What, where would you start? Yeah, again, big issue that requires time and investment and expertise. But for the purposes of a podcast, I might start with the coach and say, give me the five most common situations where you see players being, in your words, right, because I'm working with a coach, soft or mentally tough. Give me those five situations. And listen, there's a common cast of characters, you know, dealing with an injury, deselection, not starting, making a big mistake, playing poorly in a big game. Is, is that resonating with you? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Being criticized by the coach. You know, I, there's, there's like 10 or 15 that regardless of the level, they are mental toughness moments. And generally, athletes, it's a crossroads. They're going to turn left or they're going to turn right. So coach, tell me what you see at your level, on your team, are the key mental toughness moments. Now I'm engaging the coach, and we've got a list of five. Oh, there's so many. Well, you only get five. Give me your top five. Now we have five. All right. Then I'm going to go to the player. I'm assumed I'm being hired by that team. And coach says, okay, I want to, you know, just go have a chat with Doc. Let, let's go to work on this. I mean, we have a we have goalkeeping coaches that work with goalkeepers, and we don't apologize about that. That's how could you have a team without a goal? We have assistant coaches. If one person would do it all, we would have a head coach. That do everything, <laughs> but we don't do that. Okay, uh, how about having a chat with Doc? Are you up up to having a chat with Doc? Yeah, I give. Yeah, I don't know what she's gonna help, or I don't know what she's gonna do, but I'll have a chat. Me or the head coach, if you think it's a good idea, I'm gonna go have a chat. Now I'm gonna say to the player, what do you think are your big mental toughness moments? So now I've learned something. Is there symmetry? What's your number one issue when you play? When you lose confidence? When you don't? play with the capabilities that you have. When does that occur? When does that occur? Well, when I don't start or when I come in the last 10 minutes of the game or when I've uh, been relegated or you do see what I'm saying? They're going to say something. Okay, let's go to work. Let's go to work. So what is a typical response? I, I don't know. I mean, it, this there's not a canned, what, what you should hear from me is there's not a canned <laughs> answer. hundred percent. There's a team culture and then there's the individual within that culture. Okay, so let's peel back the layers. When are you less, when do you play below capabilities? Every athlete knows that. Oh, I play great in practice and then I tend to freeze up in games. Why do you freeze up? I'm afraid of making mistakes. Does that sound familiar? 
Okay, let's go to work on creating a mistake routine. Oh, a mistake routine? What's a mistake routine? So then we start individualizing that player's mistake routine. And just to put it in context, again, apparently we're going to use football as an example, but I think it's good to stay there, right? And then you, the listener can, can supplant what, what I'm saying in football with other sports. Okay, like in football, if the player's on you tightly, if you're tightly marked, you, that's, that's a routine. Like you're not going to continue to dribble forward or you're going to lose the ball. So that's a cue. That's a cue to protect the ball. So you might back pass it, or you might see that pressure coming. And so you play it off wide. You change the point of attack. Am I making sense? So you recognize the situation and you have a routine way of responding to it. If I have the ball and my defenders backing up, here's my routine take up space, come into that. Do you get what I'm saying? hundred percent. So I try to use mental skills training using the same strategies, the same cues, the same techniques that athletes are using in every aspect of their football play. Only now we're mapping mental skills on it. What I don't want to do is bring you into a classroom. Today, we're going to learn about mental skills training. Do you have your mental skills training notebook? But that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, we hire somebody is. to come in and talk about mental toughness. Well, you don't develop mental toughness in a classroom. Notice in my corner kick example, you didn't say, uh, the first thing I do is hire a corner kick expert. And then I would sit for an hour every day taking notes to learn how to kick corner kick, take corner kicks. You would go do it. I want to teach athletes how to practice mental toughness by responding to mental toughness moments on the pitch, in the game, in the pool, on the ice, on the track. We need to teach athletes how to implement mental skills as they're practicing, as they're competing, and as they're training, because that's when they need it. Knowing what you should have done after the game doesn't do you any good. And often that's when we do the analysis. We need to to make mental skills training integrated into practice, into training, into games, so that we develop what I would call the athlete's toolbox of skills and strategies to be able to meet the moment that, that they're in at that time. So coming up in part two, we're going to have a little chat around how the the practitioners who don't have a mental skills coach on staff can implement some of these strategies that Colleen's been talking about in their own sessions, whether it be a therapy session, whether it be a strength and conditioning session, whether it be a conditioning session on the field, post-game runs, all these kind of things. How can you put these strategies into place? This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Samson Equipment. Samson Equipment has been manufacturing elite strength equipment since 1976. Based in New Mexico, Samson provides professional weight room solutions for those looking to lead the way in advancing our strength and conditioning profession. Being a direct manufacturer, the team at Samson brings fully customization capabilities in not only branding, but in custom equipment needed to execute your programming. The Samson team brings many years of experience not only in coaching, but in manufacturing high quality strength equipment. So there is no vision too great. If you can dream it, they can build it. Find them on social media at Samson underscore EQ. And for more information, visit their website, samsonequipment.com or email Andy at Andy at samsonequipment.com. Also sponsoring this episode is Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organizations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. 
play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. And now back to the episode with Colleen. One thing I put on the points that I fired over to you was a lot of organisations or a lot of people listening to this podcast will be at a level where they don't have the opportunity the resource to have someone like yourself much like whether it's nutrition or it's a little bit of psychology or whatever it is gets bun- often bundled on one or two people so i'm looking for ways and i think you've given some great ways how this kind of this kind of practices could be integrated by those people and i think one thing you mentioned was the mistake routine and i'd love to just get maybe an example what that actually looks like and how someone who's not a mental skills coach. I know this may make you cringe because they may be acting like a mental skills coach, but often that's just the the nature of, of what goes on. How could they implement that and help with that mistake routine if that falls on their plate? Right. And, and one thing I want to emphasize is just a major point that you made. For a vast majority of athletes and coaches, the coach does function de facto as the mental skills coach as the trainer in some ways, as the strength and conditioning. And I guess I'd say uh, vet your sources. Often what we do is talk to other people that are equally unsure, equally um, unclear. You, you know, I, there, there's a joke that experience is what you get when you don't get what you want, right? I didn't get what I want, I got experience. So we talk to other people at our level who may or may not, and I'd lean toward may not, know any more than, than you or I know. So, so look, look to the literature. And I mean that, like, go to experts, look to the literature. You know, I'm, I'm proud of our book. I, 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 don't wanna, it's, I don't want this to be some, like, you know, self-promotion, but, but there are excellent written resources out there. I think achieving excellence is one of those, but there's, there's many out there. Go to bona fide experts. Educate yourself just like coaches do about tactics. They're, they're looking out at how to play a, a false nine. They're looking how to play a flat back four. They're looking at, do you get what I'm saying? I don't want to mm, get too technical. Gosh, no, no, the gosh. coaches are educating themselves all the time. They're evolving with the sport. We need to evolve from a mental skills coach. So consume quality information, go to the experts. All right, so now you have a coach who says, you know what, we need a mistake routine. We need a mistake routine. Every af- And again, I want to say these are individualized. They're not a canned, canned, uh, mistake routine. So every, every, uh, Olympic team and professional team that I've worked on when athletes want a mistake routine, I work one-on-one with them. So I want to say that first, but here are, here are three quickies for lack of a better way to say it. One is called, I call it the three F's. And I don't know, I don't know how this will, will work. I suspect it will work, but when you make a mistake, you're unhappy. We know what that first F stands for. It's yeah. a short word. <laughs> um, and what I'm saying is be human. That's the first step of mental toughness is to recognize it. What I don't allow, I have no time for this, is what you hear in sport all the time is, my bad, my bad, my bad. Do they do, they do that mm, in the UK? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, we know it's your bloody bad. Mm-hmm. We all Whatever that is, stop doing it. It's not working. We saw it. We get it. We know you know it. Like, it's sort of some absolution thing by saying my bad. What does that do? It does nothing. So in those moments, three Fs, you're, you're, you're mad. So if you don't say the normal first F word, you could say fudge or you could say, oh, I don't know what. But 
get it out. Like let it, so you recognize it as a mental toughness moment. It's an error. It's a mistake. Fudge, second F, fix. So now you say to yourself silently or out loud, what's the correction? So you're in front of the goal. Nice ball played in. You roof it over the crossbar. Fudge, fix. Head down, lock the ankle. Just that simple. Head down, lock the ankle. Fudge, fix. Focus. This ball, next ball. Play D, double team. I'm just giving different examples. You wouldn't say all of those. Of course, of course. So it's fudge, head down, lock the ankle. Uh, transition to D. Bing, bang, boom. That's something to do. My bad, my bad, my bad. What is that? We have a thing here in the UK, and I don't know if this has changed, but always the hand in the air, almost as if to, to so people, the coaches reckon that like, yeah, so I know I've done it. Like, don't, don't get on my back. Don't get on my back. Back off like, with me. Back yeah. off with me. Yeah. My response is to play sport is to make mistakes. To play sport is to create errors. Like, stop acting like this is some personal, unique, or individual thing. Every second an athlete spend on, you know, my bad, my bad, my, my bad, we're playing a player down. Now we're playing 10 on 11 while you get over your bad self, as I like to say. Like, we got to get at it. You got like five seconds, fudge, fix, focus, right? Fudge, head down, get a D. Like that whole thing should have taken that fast. And everyone is task oriented. It's instructive and it gives me something to do. And I think you're exactly right. The hand up is the equivalent of saying, you know, don't bother commenting. Don't judge me too harshly. Be nice to me. I'm already owning it. And I'm saying to athletes, that's not the issue. You want to, you want to accept it, acknowledge it, correct it and get in the now. You've got to play in the now. Yeah. Again, many of the audience will be gym based. So they're looking, they're looking and watching the game and then been asked to create environments or put things on that are going to transfer to the field. Obviously, physical quality has been the, the obvious one. But is there anything they can do from a mental skills perspective in the environment that the athlete doesn't perform in, like a gym, but can have that transfer as well? Um, if I'm understanding you, are, are you saying like... Um, how do we incorporate mental skills into practice? If, if that's what you're asking, here, here's a simple little thing. Simple little thing. Keep score in small-sided games. Keep score in every, I hate using the word drill because it's so militaristic and patterned. First of all, avoid that kind of thing. But in games, it's called cognitive load. In games, you ask anybody on the field what the score is and they know what the score is. There's no, uh, I don't know, uh, are we winning or losing? Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me check. So in practice, only one or two people ever know the score. You with me, Rob? It's like, I'm just out there playing 3v3 or I'm just out there playing 5v5v5. It's like, oh, okay, transition, okay. You got, and it's like one or two people are keeping score. You ask any athlete out there or ask all the other, what's the score? What's the score? What's the score? I don't know. I don't know. They'll look at each other and they'll ask. Putting yourself under similar cognitive loads in practice is essential if you are going to play under those cognitive loads in games. So a simple way is everybody needs to know the score. Is it 4-2? Is it 1-3? Not this, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Demand cognitive investment, not just doing the skills. A second example I've already alluded to is games require athletes, cognitive load, cognitive demands to solve problems. If your practices don't ask athletes to solve problems, then you're practicing one way, but the game demands a different way. So let me just use a si simple example, patterns of play. There, it's called block practice. I'm getting into motor learning a little bit, but they're block practice. They're known, they're repetitive. And you who, whenever you do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, you get better at it. 
And it's a false sense of security. I'm going to switch gears. No, I'll stay. I'll stay within football. I was going to go to free throw shooting. But many coaches practice set pieces by having athletes, you know, who are my kickers? And they get in line and they take your last 10 minutes of practice and they're taking one after the other. Does that, does that yeah, matter? I've been there 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the worst ways that you can practice. That's not how you take PKs, right? You're, you're standing at midfield. You got the long trot up from midfield. You're tired. You're exhausted. There's a lot on the line. And remind me again, Rob, how many PKs you take in a row in football? One. Correct. <laughs> yeah. You don't get to miss and then get at the end of the line and say, okay, okay, I got it now. Uh, the second one is the one I'm going to count. How many do you get again, Rob? One. So I'm giving you hints on how things need to be practiced. So what I think we, under, we miss is the psychological demands, the mental toughness demands, the coping demands, the mistake um, routines that are required in games are not built into our practices. And then all of a sudden in in games, we're supposed to be magically expert. We have got to do a better job approximating competition in our practices. And, and I'm, I'm really going to speak to the coaches here. A reason that we do it, I suspect, is because we can control it and it looks better and it feels better. It's like, oh, you see, I, I gave our kickers a couple tips. See how much better they are at PKs. I came in and made a couple coaching points. And then your next three kicks were awesome. Does, does any yeah, of that yeah, sound yeah. familiar? Absolutely. Of course it does. So it's pretty. We like it. It's, it's coach candy to do things a bunch in a row and then get feedback and, and lo and behold, they improve. And, and, and what I hear from coaches so often is after games are like, oh, we worked on that all week. It's like, oh, you know, I don't know what happened out there. We, we targeted that. You targeted it by doing it over and over and over and over and over again. And yet in games, you have one change of point, one ball kicked out wide, one cross, and you'd better score it. You don't get, okay, let's run it again. Okay, let's run it again. Okay, let's run it again. It's a false improvement because it's done under blocked practice. So we need to, to stick with the motor learning we need a little bit more serial and then ultimately random type practices where there's a long lag in between the use of the skills. I have to solve it. I have to see the patterns rather than be told the patterns. So the cognitive load, the cognitive demand, I think we need to do a better job in practices. So can that, can that be implemented in a non-technical environment to then potentially cross over into the technical environment i'm just trying to put myself in the head of the listener who may be a strength and conditioning coach based in the gym can they put things in place in that environment that is then going to help the athlete into another or are they completely two different things no no no. i i never think things are too complete one of my major points is every sport whether it's individual or team is comprised of four pillars, technical, tactical, psychological, and physiological. Every sport, plus one, which is team. Even with individual sports, you have team. And my point to athletes, if you are not appropriately, consistently, systematically training all four pillars plus one, you're leaving potential on the table. So yes, so if I, if I get in the mind of a strength and conditioning coach, which I'm not, but I'm gonna use this as, as an example of, of self-awareness, self-regulation. That's always my goal for athletes. Not me telling you, but you self, you become, teach you to become self-aware, teach you to self-regulate. So let me, let me use an example of a strength and conditioning coach working on shoulders 
as an example. So an athlete could have, uh, you know, picked up a little bit of a nick or had some overuse issues in their shoulder. So instead of telling them, this is how we're going to, we're going to do the same shoulder workout that we do all the time. You're going to say, what are different ways that we might work the deltoids? What are different ways that we might work the rhomboids? We could do front raises. We could do lateral raises. We could do a uh, pullback, right? Like seated rows. I- I'm just using examples. Of course, of course. You can, you can be embarrassed to know me and I, I will not take offense. <laughs> fine, don't worry. But there's multiple ways. Well, if I'm doing seated rows and I, I don't have full strength or range of motion in one shoulder, I'm likely to pick up a compensatory problem. D- does that make sense to you? Like, I'm, or I'm doing lat pull downs. I'm like, oh, this one's stronger, this one's weaker. So now I've taken a bad situation, I've made it worse. So you might say, what are ways that we could work one shoulder? It's not for six months. It's not for a month. What are, could we do a single raise without, do you see what I'm saying? And saying, what are ways that we might solve that problem? Normally, I want you to go through a full range of motion. I'm being the strength and conditioning coach, right? We want to go through a full range of motion. But considering the, the ailments, what are variables that we might play with, change to be able to, to stress, but not strain. So we might moderate reps. We might moderate weight. We might moderate range of motion. And we might moderate the actual lifts that we're selecting. But if I use the strength and conditioning example in the same way that I'm calling out coaches, it would be the strength and conditioning coach coming in and saying, this is our routine. This is what we do. This is where we are in the training cycle. Everyone do it. I'm going like this, but you know how common that is? I'm sure very common. Exactly. Yeah, stick to the plan. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we have to, we have to adjust, adapt, and individualize. And if we're as professionals not capable of doing that, next in, <laughs> next in. Yeah. But I don't think many sports scientists realize how we all say we don't do canned programs, but we do canned programs. In my line of work, every, so many mental skills coach, oh, it's, uh, you know, I do it unique to, and then I see their handouts and they take out the word football and add, uh, lacrosse and they take out the word lacrosse and they add ice hockey, like changing the name of the sport isn't individualizing it. Right. So we, we, we are very wedded to the program that we think is best. And then we fit athletes to the program. We need to be more malleable and collaborative. And as sports scientists, we ought to have the expertise and the capabilities to do that with confidence and do it appropriately. When it comes to mental skills, practice, mental skills, training, mental skills, development, is it different? And the marked differences when, from your experience, working with a male team and working with a female team? Yeah, it's the question I get asked probably with... Is it? Oh, no. No, don't. I don't say that as a criticism. I say that as a way to say, Rob, way to put your thumb on, on the button. You know, people are saying, what's the difference between coaching men and women? I have two what might seem like different answers, and then I'll try to bring them together. In most cultures, in most cultures, UK, and I'll do US, when somebody's having a baby, the first question is, right, you hoping it's a boy or a girl? When somebody has a baby, the first, oh, is it a boy or girl? So let's call a spade a spade. We live in a gendered society. We just, we, both of us live in a gendered society. And the amount of research is, is unequivocal that we raise our girl babies different than we raise our boy babies. Now, those are facts. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm going to say what I've been saying all along that we need to coach the individual. 
And so whether it's a girl baby grown up to be a female athlete or a boy baby grown up to be a male elite athlete, we still have to coach that particular athlete. And so we have to recognize how that person assimilated and adopted and has interacted with all kinds of demographics. It's like, is it different coaching a Dutch player than a Chinese player? Yeah, but we have to know that individual. Is it different coaching an 18 year old than a 35 year old first one into their career at the last year? Of course. So what I'm saying is coaches have to moderate a ton of demographic data, a ton of demographic differences, but this notion of male, female is not very helpful. Two facts, two facts that I'll leave the, the listeners in. The research shows, if I did a bell-shaped curve, that the differences between males and females is much less than the difference between all males or all females. So the overlap of the bell-shaped curve, more alike than different right? So that's one. Second bit of research is that, and again, I consume research for elite athletes because that's, that's my milieu, that's my environment, that elite male and female athletes are much more alike than they are different. Coach for excellence. Coach for excellence. Coach the individual. Meet the athlete where the athlete is not where your blinders are or your preconceptions are, coach the athlete that's in front of you. And if you follow those three principles, you're going to be right as rain. Amazing. Well, we've got three minutes left. And I just want to mention, I know you you said you didn't want to mention it, didn't want to be a, a book, book promotion, but got a new book out. Tell us a bit more about it very quickly. I excited about it. And I, I really am not, yeah, it's just not my jam to do the self-promotion thing. I am in the, in the final stages of my active career. And this, this piece, Achieving Excellence, is that book. It's taking 35 years of working from youth sport to Olympic and professional athletes and giving the reader techniques, strategies, there's individualized worksheets that a coach could use immediately, like this season with their athletes. It's not jargony. It's not textbooky. And we wrote it for both athletes and living and what I call corporate athletes. So the lawyer, the business person, the parent, uh, you know, it, it's, it's for sport and life. And each chapter is actionable. It's immediately adoptable. What I've been excited about is hearing from my coaching friends who got it as a head coach, and now they're getting copies for their teams, for their athletes. And then each week they're taking a different chapter. Okay, let's, let's work on self-confidence. And then the midfielders are doing this, the self-confidence. Okay, defenders. You're going to do focusing and concentration, okay? Keepers, you're going to take the self-talk chapter as an example that the coaches are going, holy cow, I can use this. I can implement this immediately, and we're going to put athletes in charge. Remember, self-awareness, self-regulation. The coaches don't line up at the mid-stripe. The mental skills coach doesn't line up at the mid-stripe. We've got to teach athletes to be responsible and take control of their mental skills training, just like they're responsible and take control of their technical, tactical, and physiological. So I'm excited about it. I'm proud of it. It, it's, it really was a gift that I knew was coming. And I'll be honest to say, I didn't want to provide that gift until, until this, this phase in, in my career. But I, I really, I, I'm excited about it. Uh, the early feedback has been phenomenal and I appreciate you mentioning it. 
No, my pleasure. And where can people get it? Just the normal places, Amazon? Yeah, Amazon. Uh, it's probably probably the easiest is just go to Amazon Books, put Colleen Hacker in there or put Achieving Excellence and it'll pop right up. Uh, or you could go directly to the publishers, which is Human Kinetics. And, and I'm proud of that publisher. It's the leading publisher in kinesiology, certainly in the United States, perhaps, perhaps, yes. uh, all Somewhere over. Here. So, uh, it, it, again, I say, you know, consider the source. So it's a human kinetics publisher. You could get it from there. The easiest way, what I'm hearing from most people is go to Amazon, ship it. Perfect. Colleen, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you before we hit record and obviously during. So, um, yeah, really appreciate it and look forward to uh, getting into the book. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to episode 412 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So just to reiterate, if you want to check out Colleen's new book, Achieving Excellence, head over to Amazon and you can get all the information on there. Big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, iMeasureU, Kitman Labs, Samsung Equipment and Play for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate all their support. So big thanks for tuning in and look forward to speaking to you next week. <laughs>